0: Part One, Chapter One of Doctor Izard by Anna Catherine Green. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Lee Smalley. Part One, A Midnight Visitant, Chapter One, Number Thirteen, Ward Thirteen. It was after midnight quiet had settled over the hospital, and in ward thirteen there was no sound and scarcely a movement. The nurse, a strong and beautiful figure, had fallen into a reverie, and the two patients, which were all the ward contained, lay in a sleep so deep that it seemed to foreshadow the death which was hovering over them both. They were both men. The one on the right of the nurse was middle-aged, the one on the left somewhat older. Both were gaunt, both were hollow-eyed both had been given up by the doctors and attendants yet there was one point of difference between them he on the left the older of the two had an incurable complaint for which no remedy was possible while he on the right though seemingly as ill as his fellow was less seriously affected and stood some chance of being saved if only he would arouse from his apathy and exert his will toward living but nothing had as yet been found to interest him, and he seemed likely to die from sheer inanition. It is through this man's eyes that we must observe the scene which presently took place in this quiet room. He had been lying, as I have said, in a dreamless sleep, when something, he never knew what, made him conscious of himself and partially awake to his surroundings. He found himself listening, but there was no sound, and his eyes which he had not unclosed for hours slowly opened and through the shadows which encompassed him broke a dim vision of the silent ward and the sitting figure of the weary nurse it was an accustomed sight and his eyes were softly reclosing when a sudden movement on the part of the nurse roused him again to something like interest and though his apathy was yet too great for him to make a movement or utter a sound he perceived though with dim eyes at first that the door at the other end of the ward had slowly opened and that two men were advancing down the room to the place where the nurse stood waiting in evident surprise to greet them one was the hospital doctor and on him the sick man cast but a single glance but the person with him was a stranger and upon him the attention of the silent watcher became presently concentrated for his appearance was singular and his errand one of evident mystery there was but one light in the room and this was burning low so that the impression received was general rather than particular he saw before him a medium-sized man who sought to hide his face from observation though his face was already sufficiently shielded by the semi-darkness and by the brim of a large hat which for some reason he had omitted to remove around his shoulders there hung a cloak of an old-fashioned type and as he approached the spot where the nurse stood his form, which had shown some dignity while he was advancing, contracted itself in such a fashion that he looked smaller than he really was. The physician who accompanied him was the first to speak. Is number twelve asleep? he asked. The nurse bowed slightly, half turning her head as she did so. The watching man was number thirteen, not number twelve but his eyes shut at the question perhaps because he was still overcome by his apathy perhaps because his curiosity had been aroused and he feared to stop events by betraying his interest in them i am afraid we shall have to wake him pursued the attendant physician this gentleman here who declines to give his name but who has brought letters which sufficiently recommend him to our regard professes to have business with this patient which will not keep till morning Has the patient shown any further signs of sinking? She answered in a cheerful tone that he had slept since ten without waking, and the two men began to approach. As they did so, both turned toward the bed of the second sick man, and one of them, the stranger, remarked with something like doubt in his tones, Is this man as low as he looks? Is he dying too? The answer was a qualified one, and the stranger appeared to turn his back but presently the strained ears of the seemingly unconscious man heard a breath panting near his own, and was conscious of some person bending over his cot. Next minute the question was whispered in his hearing. "'Are you sure this man is asleep?' The doctor, who was standing close by, murmured an affirmative, and the nurse to whom the questioner had apparently turned, observed without any hesitation, in her slightly mystified tone i have not seen him move since eight o'clock besides if he were awake he would show no consciousness he is dying from sheer hopelessness and a cannon fired at his side would not rouse him the humph which this assurance called forth from the stranger had a peculiar sound in it but the attention which had been directed to number thirteen now passed to his neighbour and the former feeling himself for the instant unobserved partially opened his eyes to see how that neighbour was affected by it. A few whispered words had accomplished what a canon had been thought unable to do, and he was beginning to realise an interest in life, or, at least, in what was going on in reference to his fellow-patient. The words were these. "'This is a hopeless case, is it?' "'Yes, sir.' "'How long a time do you give him?' The tone was professional, though not entirely unsympathetic dr sweet says a week i say three days the stranger bent over the patient and it was at this point that the watcher's eyes opened three days is nearer the mark the visitor at last declared at which the attending physician bowed i should be glad to have a few moments conversation with your patient the stranger now pursued if he is unhappy i think i can bring him comfort he has relatives you say yes a daughter over whose helpless position he constantly grieves is he poor then very good i have pleasant news for him will you allow me to rouse him certainly if you have a communication justifying the slight shock the stranger whose head had sunk upon his breast cast a keen look around i beg your pardon said he but i must speak to the man alone he himself would choose it but neither you nor the nurse need leave the room. The doctor bowed and withdrew with marked respect. The nurse lingered a moment, during which both of the sick men lay equally quiet and deathlike. Then she also stepped aside. The stranger was left standing between the two beds. Soon the sensitive ears of the watchful one heard these words: Your little daughter sends her love opening his eyes a trifle he saw the stranger bending over the other's pillow a sigh which was not new to his ears rose from his dying companion at sound of which the stranger added softly you fear to leave the child but god is merciful he makes it possible for you to provide for her do you want to hear how a low cry then a sudden feeble move and number twelve was speaking in hurried startled words who are you sir what do you want with me and what are you saying about my child i don't know you no and yet i am likely to be your greatest benefactor but first take these few drops they will help you to understand me you are afraid you need not be i am he whispered a name into the sick man's ear which his companion could not catch that is our secret he added and one which i charge you to preserve Number thirteen, unable to restrain his curiosity at this, stole another glance at the adjoining cot from under his scarcely lifted lids. His moribund neighbor had risen partially on his pillow, and was gazing with burning intensity at the man who was leaning toward him. "'Oh, sir,' came from the pale and working lips, as he tried to raise a feeble hand, "'You mean to help my little one? You? But why should you do it?' What claim has my misfortune, or her innocence, on you, that you should concern yourself with our desperate condition? "'No claim,' came in the stranger's calm but impressive tones. "'It is not charity I seek to bestow on you, but payment for a service you can render me, a perfectly legitimate, though somewhat unusual one,' he hastened to add, as the man's face showed doubt. "'What—what is it?' faltered from the sick man's lips, in mingled doubt and hope. What can a poor and wretched being, doomed to speedy death, do for a man like you? I fear you are mocking me, sir. You can be the medium, the words came slowly, and with some hesitation, for the payment of a debt I dare not liquidate in my own person. I owe someone, a large amount, of money. If I give it to you, he leaned closer and spoke lower but the ears that were listening were very sharp and not a syllable was lost will you give it to the person whom i will name but how when i am dying they say and do not worry about the whens and hows i will make all that easy the question is will you for the sum of five thousand dollars which i here show you in ten five-hundred-dollar bills consent to sign a will bequeathing this other little package of money to a certain young woman whom i will name five thousand dollars oh sir do not mislead a dying man five thousand dollars why it would be a fortune to lucy a fortune that she shall have the other assured him just for signing my name just for signing your name to a will which will bequeath the rest of your belongings namely this little package to an equally young and equally unfortunate girl it seems right i do not see anything wrong with it murmured the dying father in a voice that had strangely strengthened will you assure me that it is all right and that no one will suffer by my action did i not tell you who i was asked the stranger and cannot you trust one of my reputation? You will be doing a good act, a retributive act, one that will have the blessing of providence upon it. But why this secrecy? Why do you come to me, instead of paying the debt yourself? Is she—' "'She is who she is,' was the somewhat stern interruption. "'You do not know her. No one here knows her. Will you do what I ask, or must I turn to your companion, who seems as ill as yourself?' i-i want to do it sir five thousand dollars let me feel of the bills that represent so much there was a movement and the sick and feeble voice rose again in a tone of ecstatic delight and i need not worry any more about her feet without shoes and her pretty head without shelter she will be a lady and go to school and and by-and-by can learn a trade and live respectably oh thank god sir i know who i would like to have made her guardian then you consent cried the stranger with a thrill of some strong feeling in his voice i do sir and thank you only you must be quick for there is no knowing how soon the end may come the stranger who seemed to be equally apprehensive of the results of this strong excitement raised himself upright and motioned to the doctor and the nurse "'You will say nothing of our compact,' he enjoined in a final whisper, as the two summoned ones approached, "'nor will you express surprise at the wording of the will, or, indeed, at anything I may say.' "'No,' came in an almost undistinguishable murmur, and then there was silence, till the doctor and the nurse were within hearing, when the stranger said, "'Our friend here has a small matter of business on his mind it has been my pleasure, as I perhaps intimated to you, to bring him a considerable sum of money, which he had despaired of ever having paid him, and as for reasons he is not willing to communicate, he desires to bequeath a portion of it to a person not related to him, he naturally finds it necessary to leave a will. Foreseeing this, I had the draft of one drawn up, which, if agreeable to you, I will read to him in your presence. The amazement in the nurse's eye gave way to a look of deference, and she bowed slightly. The doctor nodded his head, and both took their stand at the foot of the small cot. The man in the adjoining bed neither murmured nor moved. Had they looked at him, they would have doubtless thought his sleep was doing him but little good, for his pallor had increased, and an icy sweat glistened on his forehead. Mr. Hazlitt's Property continued the stranger in a low and mechanical tone consists entirely of money is that not so he asked smiling upon the dazed but yet strangely happy face of the patient lying before him namely this roll of bills amounting as you see to five thousand dollars and this small package of bank-notes of which the amount is not stated but of whose value he is probably aware are you willing he turned to the doctor to take charge of these valuables, and see that they are forthcoming at the proper time?" The doctor bowed, glanced at his patient, and meeting his eager eye, took the roll of bills and the package, and putting them into his breast-pocket, remarked, "'I will have them placed in the safe-deposit vaults to-morrow.' "'Very well!' cried the stranger. "'That will be all right, will it not?' he asked, consulting in his turn the man before him mr hazlitt as they called him gave him a short look smiled again and said you know best anything so that my lucy gets her five thousand the stranger straightening himself asked if he could not have more light at which the nurse brought a candle immediately the stranger took a paper from under his cloak and opened it the nurse held the candle and the stranger began to read the last will and testament of Abram Hazlitt of Chicago, Cook County, Illinois. First, I direct all my just debts and funeral expenses to be paid. Second, I give, devise, and bequeath to— Is your daughter's name Lucy, and is the sum you wish given her $5,000 exact? asked the stranger, sitting down at the small table nearby, and taking out a pen from his pocket. Yes— was the feeble response, $5,000 to Lucy Ellen, my only and much-beloved child. The stranger rapidly wrote in the words, adding, She lives in Chicago, I suppose? It was the nurse who answered, She is in this hospital too, sir, but not for any mortal complaint. Time and care will restore her. The stranger went on reading. I give, devise, and bequeath to my only and much-loved child, Lucy Ellen of Chicago, Cook County, Illinois, the sum of five thousand dollars. Second, I give, devise, and bequeath to... Did you say the name was Mary Earl, and that she lived in Hamilton, Blank County, Massachusetts? He interjected, looking inquiringly at the man whose sagacity he thus trusted. Yes, yes was the hurried almost faint answer you know you know go on quickly for i'm feeling very weak they gave him stimulants while the stranger rapidly wrote in certain words which he as rapidly read in what one listener thought to be a much relieved tone i give devise and bequeath to mary earle of hamilton blank county Massachusetts all my remaining property as found in the package of banknotes, deposited in the safe-deposit vaults of this city, in payment of an old debt to her father, and as an expression of my regret that my hitherto destitute circumstances have prevented me from sooner recognizing her claims upon me. Third, I appoint Dr. Cusack of the Chicago General Hospital sole executor of this my last will and testament witness my hand this thirteenth day of april in the year eighteen hundred and ninety two signed published and declared by the testator to be his last will and testament in our presence and who at his request and in his presence and in the presence of each other have subscribed our names hereto as witnesses on this thirteenth day of april eighteen ninety two does this paper express your wishes and all your wishes asked the stranger pausing is there any change you would like made or is the will as it stands right 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 came in more feeble tones from the fast-sinking sufferer then if you will call in another witness i will submit the paper to him to sign said the stranger turning toward the doctor as executor you cannot act as witness the doctor turned to the nurse and a momentary consultation passed between them then she quietly withdrew, and in a few minutes returned with a man who, from his appearance, evidently occupied some such position as watchman. The sick man was raised higher in his bed, and a pen put in his hand. "'Mr. Haslitt is about to sign his will,' explained the stranger, and, turning to the sick man, he put the formal question. "'Is this paper which I here place before you, your last will and testament?' and do you accept these two persons now before you as witnesses to your signing of the same a feeble assent followed both these questions whereupon the stranger put his finger on the place where the dying man was expected to write his name as he did so a strange sensation seemed to affect every one present for the men with an involuntary movement all raised their eyes to the ceiling, upon which the stooping form of the stranger made such a weird shadow, while the nurse gave evident signs of momentary perturbation, which she, as a woman of many experiences, would doubtless have found it hard to explain, even to herself. A short silence followed, which was presently broken by the scratching of a pen. The patient was writing his name, but how slowly! He seemed to be minutes in doing it. Suddenly he fell back, a smile of perfect peace lighting up his shrunken features. "'Lucy's future is assured,' he murmured, and lost, or seemed to lose, all connection with the scene in which he had just played such an important part. A deep sigh answered him. "'Whose?' It had the sound of relief in it, a great soul-satisfying relief. Had the stranger uttered it? it would seem so but his manner was too professional to be the cloak of so much emotion or so it seemed to all eyes but one the witness's signatures were soon in place and the stranger rose to go as he did so his eyes flashed suddenly over his shoulder and rested for an instant on the man who occupied the neighbouring cot the movement was so quick that number thirteen had scarcely time to close his eyes undetected indeed some glint of the half-hidden eyeball must have met the stranger's eye for he turned quickly and bent over the seemingly unconscious man with a gaze of such intentness that it took all the strength of what had once been called a most obstinate will for the man thus surveyed not to respond to it suddenly the stranger thrust his hand out and laid it on the unknown sufferer's heart and a slight smile crossed his features is there anything i can do for you were the words he dropped cold and stinging into the apparently deaf ear but the man's will was indomitable and an icy silence was the sole answer which the intruder received i have still a thousand to give away was whispered so close into his face that he felt the hot breath that conveyed it but even these words fell or seemed to fall upon ears of stony deafness and the stranger rising moved quietly away saying as he did so this case here is on the mend his heart has a very normal beat some few more words were said and he and his companion were left alone again with the nurse at three o'clock number twelve called feebly for some water as the nurse returned from giving it to him she felt her dress pulled slightly by a feeble hand turning to number thirteen she was astonished to see that his eyes were burning with quite an eager light. "'I could drink some broth,' said he. "'Why, you are better,' she cried. But he shook his head. "'No,' said he, "'but—' The voice trailed off into a feeble murmur, but the eye continued bright. He was afraid to speak, for fear his lips would frame aloud the words that he had been repeating to himself for the last two hours. Mary Earle, Mary Earle, of Hamilton, Blank County, Massachusetts. He had found the interest which had been lacking to his recovery. End of Part 1, Chapter 1